0: Hello, Matt Ward here with the 12th British Football Coaches Network episode of a Developing Your Football World podcast. Unfortunately, today, my trusty co-host and man with a plan, James McAloon, is selfishly busy coaching. So I'm left to hold the responsibility of trying to come up with a few, at least a few decent questions uh, for my guest who's joined us today. So it's a huge pleasure to introduce my guest today, someone who has coached in the World Cup and who's had football experiences in Africa, South America and Europe. Most notably Latvia. He's also an author, best known for the brilliant book, One Football No Nets. Today I'm joined by Justin Wally. Justin, thank you so much for joining me, mate. Thank you so much for for giving up your time. And how are you doing right now? What what, what have you been up to?
1: Ah, oh, pleasure, pleasure, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Um it's a great honor to be on, actually. I was really chuffed when you when you asked me to join you on this. Yeah, I I'm in Latvia. Um very, very fortunate to be in Latvia during this uh, crazy times, I would say, because we've had um, quite a lot of freedom compared to most countries, a bit like in, in places like Taiwan, yeah. We've had the, a lot of the bars and restaurants remained open and we were free to exercise as much as we wanted, that kind of thing. Uh, the beaches were open, which is, you see, my colours, colours not my natural one at the moment. Uh so it's been it's been good, and they've really um, the, the the government's done such a good job of getting on top of things. There's only been th- a total of thirty deaths here. Um, I think in the last week we've had like seven cases in total, or something. And and the borders are open with Estonia and Lithuania. So yeah, it's been um, it's been actually surprisingly a good time for me in Latvia and um, in, enjoying getting out, getting on the beach, being in the park, that sort of thing.
0: Yep. That, that's smashing, mate. It's good to hear because also it's relatable to me because even when I'm calling up my, my bank back in England and they're like, oh, how are you doing with everything? I'm like, yeah, it's great. I'm around the swimming pool. I'm doing this. And then you, remember, <laughs> <laughs> you suddenly remember maybe it's not the best things to, to talk about. So at least we've got uh, that in common uh, today, which is great. So, Justin, before we get into the more interesting stuff, because you, you've got lots of good stories that I'm really uh, dying to hear about. Uh, just a couple of uh, questions so we ask our guests a couple of questions based on the football manager game uh, which some some coaches know about some coaches don't as they've been busy coaching i used to play it and then later on i was privileged to actually be in the game itself still with half a star but it's better than zero star so i'm okay with that so as a player in the football manager game what would you say would be your 20 out of 20 attribute as a player and i know you you. you've literally been playing quite recently but that's something we'll go into uh, later on as well so as a player yeah. what would you say your best attribute is or was
1: well i play I, <laughs> my experiences of playing football manager was about the, the i think one of the original 1984 games or something so yeah a few lines of a few lines of uh, computer program not not too not too complicated uh, used to be a lot of fun but I, so i don't play that i haven't played the the, the modern versions of it, but any, anything from this century. Um, as a player, I mean, I, I think you go through periods as players anyway. I think when I when I was very young, I was um, really a dribbler and um, very fast. Um, as I got a bit older, it's a good, good crosser of the ball. Um, and I think as I've got older, still playing, it, it changes because obviously I'm not fast anymore. I can't dribble quite so much past people because, you know, I get found out. Um, drop my shoulder, but it's a bit too slow, perhaps. Um, but it's funny because, actually, I was having this conversation with somebody I know the other day. Is it, I think when you coach, um, you improve as a player because you put into practice a lot of the things you teach. Well, hopefully, you do, you know? I, I'm playing. I'm thinking, I have to do it. I have to do what I'm telling people. So, strangely, I'm a bet, I, I could never tackle to save my life. And now, I, I think I'm a pretty decent tackler. You know, positional sense. You know, go, going in to try and um, block someone or steal the ball from them, I think I'm quite good at that now. I mean, no, that's, you're recompensating because you're getting a bit older, but um, I think overall, probably crossing the ball. So,
0: crossing the ball from crossing, the right. wing probably so yeah, crossing it's probably like, thrown in there. So, your early days, yeah. a bit of a Jay Bullfroid who was at Coventry City I think Birmingham and also Perugia. Yeah. I, I lived in Prusia for a while, and everyone knew knew uh, Jade Boyfriend as the Snake, and they'd be like, "Oh, you know the Snake? Yeah, he goes on runs, but just runs into nowhere, no man's land." So a I was a big, My,
1: my favourite player was Chris Waddle, so I used to, I used to try and copy him. So I'd go past people, I'd try and go past them again uh, three or four times. I'd probably get tackled the fourth time. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, I didn't have a coach that put me right and sort of pointed out, that's not, not what you do in a competitive match. But uh, down the park, it's a lot of fun, of course. Um, but yeah, any of those dribblers, you know, in the Ryan gigs of these world, I, that's, those are the players I tried to copy. I loved I loved just, just running at people and trying to beat them uh, when I was young. Uh, Isn't mean, it
0: so, so true what you said? I, I found the same. After coaching, you do become kind of a, a better player at things that you potentially wasn't good at before. And yeah. I, I, I was quick and when I lost my, all my pace and started still playing a little bit, you know, uh, a bit of fun, I, w- I was better. My positioning, my decision making, everything was better. Like you said, you're, you're literally coaching yourself in your head and you're yeah. thinking, oh, if I knew this earlier, if someone actually coached me properly. Yes, it's our fault or my fault for not being a professional club sooner. Uh, but if someone was able to give you these little bits of these little nuggets, then you would have been a better player. But Cella that, that's where we are. Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, I play against a lot of young lads. I mean, a twenty. You got twenty-year-old. I had a twenty-year-old African lad running at me the other night. And you know, back in the day, he would have done me even when I was fast. But I just thought, no. I just you know, sit off him a couple of yards. I'll, I'll just jockey him a bit. I kept, yeah, I sort of kept kept pretending to go in, drop backing back off him. And in the end, it's sort of—I just confused the hell out of him, you know. But uh, it's, um, yeah, I, I, I say to a lot of players, um, try and get on coaching courses, whether you, whether you want to be a coach in the future or not, because I think you learn a lot about the game. You know, yeah. So perhaps I don't tell you, or any other coach tells you.
0: Uh, that's a great bit of early early advice for for players at, at any level as well. You don't have to be a professional player. If anything, if you're kind of borderline non-league amateur, get, get yourself on the coaching courses. If not, because you, you think you don't want to be a coach now, but just to improve you as a player. Still, no, I will. Time. No, what, about, what about your coaching attribute, Justin? 20 out of 20, what would you give yourself coaching-wise?
1: I think uh, I'm definitely, for me, it's, it's mostly about uh, communication. Um, it's about, you know, motivating players in the right way. Um, trying to teach teach people what you know what, what they're good at, what they're not so good at to improve. But really important uh, to keep a positive state of mind with people. I hate it when you hear coaches or players and they're just having a go at people and they're bringing them down. So, you know, every time the ball comes to them, they become nervous about what they do. There's nothing worse than that, frankly. It starts with kids. You see it. Some people do it with kids, but um it's not so much with kids these days because it's not you know sort of acceptable behavior but why it's acceptable with with adults i don't know i i don't mean you don't get them in a changing room and and blind at them on occasion and tell them you know how things are but that's nothing worse than destroying someone's someone's confidence so i think it's yeah a positive state of mind i i was lucky enough to meet chris wilder uh, a couple of years ago and he said to me um I asked him, you know, about his relationship with the players, and he said, you know, you, you treat players the way you would want to be treated as a player. It's a simple thing, and that's yeah. that's 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 my philosophy with 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 players. You know, treat them exactly how I would expect to be treated myself.
0: Um, and in terms of that, more senior adult-wise, but like you said, children as well. If you destroy them at such a young, fragile age, you you just killed all the confidence. And quite recently, I I went to as I do uh, when I'm a, a bit bored, I just go and have a look at some academies and whatnot. And I have to hold myself back because this—I think there there must have been u nines. And uh, one one laddie, he played the ball across the across the goal, across the ten yard box or whatever it was, instead of eighteen yard box. And the coach immediately screaming, "I told you not to play the ball across. I told you we don't do that." And my yeah. my first instinct was to to race across there and and basically grabbing by the throat I, I yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. and i just thought you know what it, it, it's not every coach as we know but there's just still a, a lot of learning and education to be done and look if you're trying to help out and you're volunteering you're not qualified get get some knowledge get educated get qualified or, or go on some courses or or mirror some people, shadow some coaches, but don't do that to children. Don't continue because it, it, it's not going to get any better otherwise. So it, it, it's still happening very strongly in Taiwan, in, in the UK, in Europe as well. Uh, it's a shame. It's a shame. I hope it we just, can move away from that.
1: just popped in my mind while we we're talking. I remember I was about 15, um, very good school team. We got to a county final. I think it was, about the, it was the semi-final. And in the training session before it, um, I went on one, of my dribbles went past about three players, and then from a really hard angle, I tried to tried to score, put it put it wide. There was nobody in the box, but the the, the coaches went mad at me. Eh? You know, which is ridiculous. It's a it's a training session. I've gone past three players, and it's 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 good. Yeah, it's not everyone puts it in the top corner, and uh, pulled me pulled me aside and said, "You dropped for the semi final." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "I'm not happy with what you just did," and I said, "Well." And I, yeah, repeating what I just said. I said, well, I thought that was, I thought it was pretty decent. There was no other options on. I just, you know, a shot wide. And, 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 and he destroyed, you know, that particular coach who was, I learned a lot from because he was mostly awful. Um, he destroyed my confidence at the time. And, yeah, and I, I ended up playing, I ended up going into men's football at 16 just because I, I stopped playing for, yeah. for the school team because I just, it destroyed the pleasure for me. You know.
0: It's it's a shame. It's a shame that things like this do stick in our mind and it affects us for sure. I mean, same with me. It made me nervous to play. The higher levels yeah. I got, I, I was anxious to play. And then I ended up not wanting to play at any higher level. That's why I ended yeah. up finishing. I, I just didn't enjoy it anymore. So. No,
1: the, the number of lads who, who speak to me just said they're not, they, they talk about, can I, you know, could I, could I go over to Latvia because I'm just not enjoying the football and playing at a good level, but I'm not enjoying yeah. it. And ultimately, most people play football for the pleasure, not for the money, not for the career. So it's a, it's a shame when the enjoyment's taken out of it.
0: So on, on to a, a bit of coaching now. I'm interested about your, your coaching pathway up to the time of when you first moved abroad. And yeah. when you first moved abroad, uh, you know, your, your, your first experience is there as well. So kind of like the transition from, from leaving home or the UK and then yeah. first going abroad
1: my my first um my first time living abroad was um if i remember it correctly i think in 95 um well I'd, I'd graduated from university i'd worked i had quite a decent job i was um marketing director of a huge disco in london called zenith and uh but things just it was it was a nightmare it was it was an act it it's just it was it was very, very stressful. I, I ended up quitting it. At the time, I was sort of thinking, what do I do next? And I remember the, I don't know what his general manager or whatever of the, of the overall of the company, they had about 40 nightclubs and he, he liked me and he said, you know, I understand it's you, you've got no, with this job, there's, there's just no, you know, they're no throwing millions at it and it, it, it just, it couldn't be saved the club really because of its location. and. and I said, what do you think I should do next? He says, you know, if I was you, we talked and the things that you like and you like a bit of travel and stuff, I, you know, my advice would be go and be a travel rep um, in somewhere like Greece. Go and fill your boots. And um, at the time I thought, well, that's always something I fancied. And I applied applied to a few companies. I ended up moving to Faleraki, of all places, and being a holiday rep. Um, yeah, 1995. Uh, so that was my... That was my first time living abroad and I think I always liken it to crossing a line once you cross that line you can never really fully go back um because I was suddenly you know living living in Greece you know going to work on a moped along the coastal road um partying all the time um just you know it was hard work but it was amazing and um that was that was my kind of my my first that i think that first time living abroad and the, rewired my brain a little bit um i came back from there and i wanted to work in football i i, I made several attempts to get involved in football even had an interview with uh, spurs um one-point challenge sugar burst into uh, and um i ended up working at euro 96 i was the assistant director for the city of nottingham um, so that was my first, I think, first first football job. Great, great experience. Met the, the great man Eusebio at that, and uh, worked with Stuart Pearson, a few people, a few of the England players and stuff. Um, and then, yeah, just really, I was trying to, I was trying to get, uh, trying to launch a career in football. I did, I did my first coaching badge, at the, you know, the prelim badge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I did that in, um, in Nottingham uh, in '96. Um, really enjoyed that. I was thinking about coaching possibly in the states or somewhere because that was the, the thing to do at that time. Um, and things just didn't work out. I just I, I hit brick walls. I was offered Leicester City offered me a job, I think, but it was you know, six six grand for working six days a week or something. I just thought, oh, you know what? I, I've done a bit. Of, I've done a bit of traveling, and I just thought, you know what? I just I want to go backpacking. So i went backpacking with a mate of mine in 97 and we, we we were away 15 months 35 countries um the days before before mobile phones and uh yeah. internet ruined everything for people's privacy and what so we were we were <laughs> free to do what we wanted and go where we wanted and it was um an incredible time um again rewired my brain further you know there was never any any return to normality after that for me that was for sure um and i just started yeah thinking about what what i was going to do in the future and if I fast forward yeah, you know, in 2000 I, I i um i moved to to latvia uh for the first time and um started teaching english as a way of as a way of being here um, and that was um lived, lived in latvia for a couple of years so it's a it's a long story. It's got it's got many many twists and turns. I lived in Japan after that for a year. Um, lived in Germany uh, for a short period of time in Cologne. Um, returned to Latvia for a while. Um, we we set up a club called Riga United uh, in two, thousand and seven. So I was involved in in things there a little bit more on them just on a just the running of it. Um, but there was no real serious at that time. There was no 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 real serious intent to getting back into the coaching. Um, that was just just left. I wasn't even playing for a while, to be honest. Yeah, just putting a lot of weight and uh, was drinking too much, too much partying. Uh, the football football um, suffered. Um, and then uh, yeah, eventually, long long story again, but um, fast forward to 2011, and we were. I was I was down in New Zealand, Fiji, down that area of the world for a few months, and um, I came. I decided to go back to Latvia again, and we wanted to try and take the club forward. So um, that was that was when, yeah, my my football path, as people know me today, really kind of took off from around 2011, 2012
0: time. So that that was back again with Riga like uh, Riga United, now. Just quickly going back to, you mentioned traveling, people may be thinking, well, why are these guys talking about traveling and being a holiday rep and something? It's the relevancy here is because, like you said, it does rewire your brain. It does reverse engineer kind of you as a person and your experiences allow you to have different thoughts and ideas, which then lead into different opportunities. I, I also knew that I wasn't going to stay in the UK. I, I joined the military and I said to a couple of uh, uh, guys uh, a few weeks ago, technical directors from Cook Islands and Australia and New Zealand, and I said, you know what, the, the, the person who told me to join the military if I want to travel was totally wrong. I should have, I should have become a football coach earlier and, yeah. and gone travelling with it straight away. So that, that's, yeah. that's the best advice I would say to anyone who, who kind of wants to coach and travel. You can do both at the same time and I also wanted to be a holiday rep as well I, I didn't get around to that and it is <laughs> the, experiences, the experiences which you gain from that it, it does it gives you that feeling that you can literally put your mind to anything and achieve it and you can do anything you want like it, yep. it opens up the world and so as you did you you went around the world a, a little bit more saw more places and you ended up going back to that big game uh united 2011 and how, how did things develop then uh, at the club since the first time you were there in 2007?
1: Yeah, well, the, I mean, the, the, the sort of the birth of the football, the, the, the football club was formed in 2007, but it kind of goes all the way back to 2000, just, you know, it's a few lads who wanted to have a kick about. And yeah. um, I think with the EU, uh, Latvia joined the EU in 2004, that's when we just got loads of lads coming over, who uh, you know, very good sort of, uh, some of them were very good semi-pro standard, you know, and they they wanted a game. So that that was partly why that team became became Reggie United in 2007 out of that. 2011-2012 was myself and a few other people just recognising an opportunity to to make the club more serious and to see where we could go with it. Um, uh, I think it was fortunate, you know, a couple of people at the time had the same sort of um, dream as me on that. So... There was a lad called Jeffrey Young. He was um, a coach, a B-licensed coach, an um, American lad, um, and he started putting on um, coaching sessions. Uh, we, we went to three times a week, um, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a big thing in, in men's amateur football, I think. We trained at Sconto Hall, which was the best um, indoor facility in the country on the 3G there. That's where the national team often... Um, train yeah we, we did that three times a week and we just we, we tried to make it you know proper proper sessions yeah. um and we we tried to develop it and then we said let's 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 work towards um making the club part of the latvian football federation and trying to get into the football pyramid and uh yeah what happened was we ended up the men's team ended up playing in the national league in, in league two which is the third tier um we set up an academy. Um, so at, at one point we had, I think, eight or ten teams and it was all the way from from four or five years old all the way through to 17-year-olds. Really? Um, now I set up a ladies' team um, and the ladies' team ended up playing in the, in the Latvian Premier League um, and we got a bronze medal. We had uh, the, the, the female player of the year, the Latvian player of the year, uh, which is well, one of my proudest moments in football, we had girls playing for the national team, um, so that was an, amazing as well, you know, you saw the team, you, you saw the team sheet with, you know, some of the games were televised and you'd see Reggie United next to the name, so yeah. I just couldn't, couldn't, blew my mind at the time, you know, or, or I'd have um, the Football Federation send me a letter for international release for your players, I
0: just <laughs> that's, a, I believe it. that's something you dream of, right? That's, yeah, 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 I just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. But, um, so yeah, we
1: and, and we were very strong on the marketing and um, on on the branding and, and the community sense of things. And we got what for Latvia would be big crowds. We got we got a hundred plus coming to amateur games. We one of the ladies' games we had two hundred, which at the time wasn't was similar to what the likes of Liverpool and Chelsea ladies were getting actually in those days. And um, we had games televised uh, here and yeah brilliant we achieved 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 a lot and we have no money really so we achieved it just from hard work and dreams and commitment is
0: it is it still going well now uh have they have they taken the work you guys did when you was there um and and, then carried it through or sponsorship and the resources got easier
1: no i did yes and no but mostly no i mean it's the club's still the club's still around, um, which is an achievement because in the Latvian football environment, most clubs. We're actually one of the oldest clubs in the country that still exists. You know, I'll be talking about a club that's 13 years old, but most clubs yeah. old. Or well well what happens is they they merge with other clubs. So they, what's popular here is to put the two names together. Yeah. Um, so I just just the other day I was I was amazed to see one quite decent club. They've stuck their name with somebody else. Just to me, they've lost. They lost their identity immediately you know what i mean um so i think we've done well to survive i think um we haven't really had too much with, with sponsorship um we do get some we get more support from um, the federation and uefa than we ever used to get which helps uh but it's an expensive thing because we don't own our own ground we have to rent and, yeah. and, and, and at one point rental costs for 25 grand a year or something like that so and that's just for a place you're using a few hours a week, you know. But it's, yeah, it's survived. Yeah, the men, The actually they've restructured the leagues this year. So there's now four tiers in Latvia. So the men are actually playing in the fourth tier this year rather than the third tier. Uh, the ladies, we are just seeing whether the Premier League is going to go ahead or not. Because there's only, if we play, there'll only be four teams. Um, we're struggling because most of our girls are abroad. They never came back because of coronavirus. Yeah. Um, so we're really struggling. Um, but hopefully we'll, we'll be able to play. Yeah, and the academy's still going. Um, you know, that, 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 that changes a lot because you get international um, families that are here yeah. and they're here for four or five years and they suddenly leave and you might just lose it in one summer. You might lose 20 kids and you might lose the soul of a team even, you know. That's you really might good. have a great under-14s and suddenly the, the whole soul of the team, the heart, heart of the team ripped out. But, but it goes on, it continues, and um, I'm very proud of the fact that it, it's still still surviving, it still carries on. I'm, I'm joining them for training. I love going down and not having to pick up the cones and take the smelly food home. Um, a bit of banter from the lads, you know, because I'm 100 years old. Um, but it's good, it's good. And I, I'm just, you know, why do you do something? You do it for pleasure. So many people have, have, have made friendships out of the club. It's helped them assimilate to Latvia it's, it's helped um, a lot of Latvians get to know foreigners. I know yeah. a lot a lot of people who have who've, um, you know found partners from the club even and um, it's a wonderful thing' it's, there's a lot of things wrong with the club and there's a lot of things we could have achieved more but i'm very I'm very proud I'm very proud of the club to be honest
0: so from from there from there, what happened next after Latvia? Where did your travels take you then? What happened was I, I, I just,
1: I got to the stage with Reading United where it was all consuming. I mean, I literally, it was bonkers. I was, I'd become the, I was the club secretary, uh, which is involves quite a lot of work if you do it properly. I was doing all the marketing, so I was doing all the social medias. <laughs> I was doing the accounts for the club. I was running the ladies team. Um, I was doing some youth team coaching. And then I was trying to do a bit of English teaching, or whatever as well. And it just got to the point where it was absolutely, I was just shattered, mate, mentally yeah. and mentally more than physically. And I had, um, I was a bit ill at one point. I went into hospital, and I think it was partly stress related. And I've never been a person that because if I get bad stress, I walk away from things. Usually, it's you know because I don't see the point of ruining your health over something. Uh, but yeah, I got I got quite ill, and at that point, I just said, you know, I never. I'll finish the season, finish next season, and um, I'm just going to leave Latvia and I'm going to go travelling again. And I went, yeah, I went with my my girlfriend at the time, Katya. We went, we went travelling for a few months. um, And and during that time, I tried to think about what was next, really, and I had no intention of going back into football. I actually wanted to work with elephant conservation, of all things, Um, but I couldn't get into it. Just couldn't, couldn't find a way in. And then I just thought, you know what? Football's football's the thing. Maybe I just look at it slightly differently. Maybe I maybe I try to do something a bit off the wall, um, and then I come up with this idea. I wanted to be like an international football manager. <laughs> yeah.
0: Just one of one of one of them. One of them national team managers.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I probably should have just played the computer game you're on at the start. <laughs> but, uh, I just thought, you know what? I just I think somehow it's possible to be in an environment, you know, somewhere where they just don't have the resources. Yeah. We uh, don't have coaches that will go out and go to there because everyone thinks it's dangerous or whatever. And so I just started looking around. I just, um, I made an ambition to try and do that. In the meantime, I, I got asked to do a bit of coaching with one club called FK Alliance here. Um, so I, they're in the in the in second league in Latvia. So I, I helped them. Um, I didn't do that many training sessions. It was more of a manager turn up on the, saturday go to the away games with them um that was a lot of fun great bunch of lads a really latvian team not, not really any foreigners in it so it was quite quite interesting to manage a team where i was the only i think i was the only foreigner at the time but it was it was good good fun and then uh then an opportunity came up to go to the pacific um to to, to be a national team coach with a with a mate of mine tony McMullen, who you, you, i think you, you know yourself yeah. who's coaching over here in Marupe now uh, and me and Tony had an opportunity to be joint national team managers of an unnamed Pacific Island nation um, but it fell through it's a long story and um, for want of not um, saying things I shouldn't about the person person involved and going to court or something I'll, uh, I, won't, I won't go any further on that but a bit gutted at the time and, and, and unfortunately um, Sasha and uh, Doug Stott and Paul Watson at Connie for just said to me at the time, you know, Mattabiniland are looking for a coach. I said, who, sorry, Matter who, you know, um, I said, um, where is, where, where the hell is, where is, where is Mattabiniland? I didn't even have time to Google it. Um, well, I couldn't Google it. I couldn't spell it. Um, <laughs> and, um, so that's Zimbabwe. You see Zimbabwe, they're looking for a coach. They're in, um, I knew through Connie for yeah they, they were playing at the Connie for World Cup the following summer and said yeah speak to Bisani their their president and see if they're interested and 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 that's what happened I was on a Skype call to Bissani and about a month later I was on a I was on a flight to South Africa thinking what the heck am I doing?
0: So okay, let me just backtrack so. You come up this opportunity comes you're like yeah we'll do that i worry about where it is later and how you spell it and then you're on the plane you get to south africa and zimbabwe is a uh it's they call it landlocked when when the country's surrounded by other countries basically yep. gridlock yeah. landlocked, landlocked but, yeah yeah zimbabwe is a, a landlocked country and um <laughs> had, had you any pre um Previous knowledge uh, about Zimbabwe on a whole, or have you been any, to any other African countries before?
1: I, 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 well, yeah, I've had quite decent, ex- very decent experiences in Africa. I, I've, I've worked, I volunteered in Sierra Leone in 2013 for the Craig Bellamy Foundation.
0: Ah, yeah, okay.
1: I lived, uh, I lived in, um, I lived in Sierra Leone um, for a couple of months. So that was an amazing. That's a, that's a tough place, you know. If you can you can yeah. it's an amazing place but it's tough you know i mean i lived in a house there was no electricity for example so there was not even a fan uh, no fridge no lights you know it's just a torch at night and mosquito in there so it's, that was tough uh, 2010 i had an incredible experience i joined joined a lad called Bjorn Heidenström who was cycled from norway to south africa for the world cup and i joined him in kenya and i got on a i bought a bike from a toy shop a chinese toy shop and I cycled with him down uh down the east coast of um africa through um through several countries did a road trip um cycling hitchhiking trains boats um so i i i had that experience I was on the road for a couple of months doing that which is absolutely bonkers and um amazed, amazingly well treated you know no one no one tried to do anything bad to us um you know, we were often right in the middle of nowhere, you know, 20 miles, 30 miles from the nearest town. And no one ever, no one ever caught, you know, no one came at us with a machete or anything else. Um, just, yeah, incredible experience with with Africa. So I was confident of going out there and, 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 and not worried. Um, ironically, um, Zimbabwe was a place we didn't go through in 2010 because I think there was a lot of, um, there were a lot of problems around that time. If you remember, the white farmers were, were, were removed by Mugabe, um, and it wasn't deemed safe for British, particularly uh, safe for British national. At least that was that was what I was told. Um, so we all know, of course, the the Mugabe stuff. We know the, the hyperinflation stuff. So there's not too many good good news stories out of Zimbabwe. Um, and before I went there, when I knew I was going, I purposely didn't look at the news because I thought if I see anything now, it will spook me. So I waited till I was, I'd been there two days and then I looked at the news and then I realised that the place was uh, was was entering another one of its uh, crisis periods and that there was political um, right. shenanigans going on. Inflation was, hyperinflation was on the way back. Um, yeah, it was a big threat of social unrest, etc. cetera. Uh, so thankfully I didn't read any of that before
0: before I went there um. <laughs> yeah thankfully I mean you, you thought you was well prepared living in Sierra Leone with literally no zero zero electricity how many people nowadays could could do that not have their phone not have their laptop let alone a fan and you bear yeah. mosquito nets they, mosquito nets freak me out anyway but I'm I feel comfortable inside one because you know no, not many things are going to touch you but you think you're you're prepared you're ready then you go What's it, what was it like when you first met your players, your team? What what was the environment like when you turned up there, national team manager? Well, yeah, just there. just just
1: going back to Sierra Leone. I mean, that's um, yeah, we had a generator, but it was so we could put it on for half an hour, but it was such yeah. such hassle, yeah. and just we did, we just gave up trying to use it. And yeah, Mosquito, now it's pleased for that because there's some quite big spiders that used to show, up um, and I'm not good not good with that so um it scared me at times because you you just wait for the light you know and it was it was so hot and it was the best time of the day was six six in the morning when it's getting light and I'd sit outside and have a lady used to come and cook breakfast on some some coals outside you know and get water from the well it's just uh, a bit different um and I mentioned that again because you when I went to Zimbabwe it was it was you know, once upon a time, Zimbabwe was the was the richest country in Africa. And okay, yeah. I stayed with a lady in, in a bungalow there. Um, and in lots of ways, it was it was lovely. It was a completely different kind of experience from Sierra Leone. It was a lot easier. Uh, it's just the fact that Zimbabwe is kind of stuck in the 80s. It's stuck with the same infrastructure and um, or the 60s to some extent. Um, and it's not in certain ways. It's never progressed. So it's like a time warp. You know, it, look, it looks, parts of it's like Birmingham city centre did in the 70s or something, you know, Bulawayo. Um, yeah, and of course, once you get out of the city, you get out to the, into the bush, then you're in Africa. Yeah, it's really, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's proper, proper Africa. Um, but the city, the city itself is very, uh, you don't necessarily, it, you don't necessarily feel like you're in Africa, but for the fact that there's almost no white people there. Um, but uh, yeah, got there, um wasn't quite what i'd expected we all you know we all kind of imagine how things are going to be i thought we'd have a couple thousand people coming down to watch our games and it was more like a man and a dog (laughs) Uh, dog not on the lead (laughs) um uh yeah facilities i wasn't sure the facilities weren't quite yeah they they were a bit more basic and than i expected and they didn't have much equipment uh but uh, great bunch of lads, great coaches, the Bissani and Kanye, good lads, worked very, very hard, um, it was a 24-7 team, you know, we we were training several times a week, um, it was everyone's life really, the team, um, and a really good bunch of lads, some of them, some some fantastic footballers in there, a couple of them that were uh, worse than me, to, to be honest, at the start, um, but uh, yeah, great, fantastic group, fantastic group, and um it was exciting you know to, to arrive and get start getting your teeth into into a project like that
0: For, for those who are listening and, and, and don't really understand what Conifer is or, or Conifer teams or the World Cup which we we'll go on to very shortly so am, am I right in saying it's for kind of uh, it's an association for states of minorities or or, or regions who are unaffiliated uh, from FIFA.
1: Yeah, you've done, you've done a better description. I probably would have. I've had, <laughs> I, I've had lots of... I
0: read about it before we changed.
1: I've come up with a different answer every time. But that's, I'll, I'll go with that. I'll go with that. Experience. Yeah, let's go with yeah. that. You almost imagine non-FIFA, all, all, the, all the teams that are not in FIFA, um, which you, you might argue should be or could be. Yeah. Um, it's a strange one because we've got a couple of members um, in the Pacific um, Kiribati and Tuvalu are United Nations countries and you know they should definitely be in FIFA you would have no, thought yeah. yeah there's not a single reason why they shouldn't be apart yeah. from the fact that FIFA doesn't pull out the finger and finance them because uh, they're in the middle of nowhere basically and they don't yeah. they, they can't be bothered to, to do their job so yeah a couple of couple of places that, are, that would be deemed more legitimate than some of the actual FIFA members in all truth um, yeah,
0: it and then, says yeah. A, it says a lot in itself, uh, to be honest. Yep. So, you your, your players are, are any were any kind of able to play at some kind of high amateur semi pro level?
1: Yeah, well, the lads. Um, all the pretty much all the lads were playing in the uh, Zimbabwe pyramid. Okay. So they were playing from. Uh, so you got Premier League, which is. Which is really quite decent. Um, you get big crowds for that. Um, you got Premier League, and you up first, and then I never quite understood it. Some people told me there's seven divisions or eight divisions or whatever, and you get regional divisions and stuff. But we got that. We had lads playing second, third, fourth, fifth, fifth division Zimbabwe, um, and then we had uh, a goalkeeper was playing in the League One, and a couple of lads who played League One when they were younger and. Played in Botswana and stuff, and had come close to getting in the Premier League. Um, and then we had a couple of youth team lads um, who were with, you know, academies that also played for us. So it's a good, good bunch. You know, there was there were some young lads who really got no experience; they just started playing league football, but that really had no, you know, never been coached or anything. So they were they were very very naive, uh, but had the passion and uh, and the heart. But uh, they're very mixed, a very mixed bunch. Um, there were a couple of players there who were two of the best players I'd ever seen, you know, amateur-wise. Um, but there was also a couple of lads, that, uh, yeah, they weren't, they weren't quite up to what, what I would, would have thought you might call international football. <laughs> so, this
0: is, so, this is your... You go in, you're, you're now... You're a national team manager. This is a project you, you've been waiting for, what you wanted. And it, it's just like... Well, it is, it's having your own team. Now, you was preparing, for the Conifer World Cup, which was held in England, right? Was it just in London?
1: Yeah, just in London, yeah.
0: So, (laughs) you guys have got to, I'm I'm guessing you didn't all have flights laid on for you and everything. You had to make your own way there.
1: Basically, I mean, the the team was that poor that um, we stopped training on on, on the private pitch that we rented because it was, I think, eight US dollars a session. And we couldn't afford it so we went on to public pitches where there was no nets it was a dirt pitch and at that stage we'd, we'd only got one decent football um which is hence the title of my book um but um yeah it was it was very very limiting we didn't we didn't have finance um and and Kanye and the other and lots of people who helped us they did a great job of running i don't know how they did it half the time i mean Sometimes we'd be at a petrol station for two hours, just queuing up and trying to get enough money together uh, because they have a lot of this online banking rather than yeah. cash. And we were just trying to muddle together money, different kinds of money from here, there and everywhere, a few US dollars, whatever, just to fill up a tank of petrol to go to an away game. And that's how bad it was. And then you need you know, to get, to get a, a delegation of 25 people on flights to the UK, um, 25 visas, you know, British visa with all the paperwork costs 150, 200 dollars a person. Um, you know, we were looking at 30 grand, 30,000 US dollars or something like that. We needed to raise. So that was the toughest part. You know, that was that was the thing. Getting the visas and getting the money was really um, the hardest part of all. And it, it, it looked almost like an impossible mountain to climb at uh, at various points. What a
0: what a, what a superb job. So. You, you you get to London. I, I bet. Let's be honest. I bet most of the guys, including yourself, maybe Justin, yeah. you didn't think it was going to happen. So when you got there, what were what were the emotions like of the players? What how how was the feeling around uh, around the camp? Let's call it camp. Your national team camp. Yeah.
1: yeah. What was the I don't think. Thought? I don't think. Truthfully, I, I don't know. They they might tell you otherwise. I don't think the lads ever believe it ever go. Um, the coaches did. Besides. Isani and Kanye always, in fact, they annoyed me because they sort of, they, they, they sort of said it's definitely going to happen regardless. At one point, just before we left, Kanye and I had an argument because he said, you know, basically God, God will ensure this happens. And I, have got no problem. I don't, I don't mean that that he, he, he didn't, you know, that he trusted in God. It was just the fact that we were so close to to not going, and I just thought, no, no. I said, to, it's not the time now to tell me about, you know, God helping us. We've got to help ourselves, you know. Um, but. But they were always sure we'd go, and I, I felt I felt in my heart that we were always going to go. I, I don't know. I just had this total uh, dedication and belief about the whole thing that it was going to happen. So, I mean, in the last, the, you know, the last, we we had all our visas declined four days before we were flying, and we were still a few grand short, and it looked like we definitely weren't going. And you know that how we pulled that around was 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 mental. You know, I had I had Bruce Grobelaar on the play uh, on the phone in. Um, Canada phoning up uh, present Manangagua in Zimbabwe um, phoning up the British Home office uh, me trying to skype the head of the Armed Forces <laughs> all kinds of you know mental stuff going on to try and reverse decisions on the visas which obviously we, we, we managed to do but I think yeah once once we got to London the most of the lads had had that look of you know rabbits on in in, the, in in the car lights a little bit the shock of actually being being in london um, Amazing amazing yeah apart from the coaches no, to my knowledge none of them have ever been on a plane before they've never been out of africa so yeah it's not like usual international football it's literally a bunch of lads you know from the a couple of lads you know didn't even have, didn't even have jobs you know and they do you know from a very deprived area and, and, and suddenly they're in London and you've got BBC World, CNN, making a documentary about them, Deutsche Welle interviewing us, the captain on a chat show in London. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> it's,
0: it's just a, unreal. And, and anyone who's listened to this who is not inspired by it to actually do something in their life, if their life feels like it's not really going anywhere at the moment, it's all right to admit it if it's not. you know, This is, this is the perfect story for you. It's making me feel like... I, I, I want to get out if the flights were, were back on again. So the tournament itself. Who was in your group?
1: Yeah, so we, we started off. We we our first game. Talk talk about uh, a, an uncomfortable start. We were playing the European champions, Padania um, <laughs> and they had the uh, Stankovic oh. playing for them. Um, you may remember from the uh, Syria. That,
0: that's not fair. Yeah, with the, the face mask. He used to wear the face mask. Well,
1: I don't time. remember. I don't remember if he had a face mask. But he's probably he, him. But
0: that's not
1: actually a he's, anyway. actually Lithuanian. But he, he he lived so long and right. played so long for Dania that they kind of uh, they kind of oh, what's what's the word? Um, I think naturalized him. In, in a sense, him, yeah, yeah, yeah. They inherited him, so he was playing, and A lot, lot of lads from most of the lads played in Serie D, yeah, and there's a couple of lads Serie C, and a couple of lads had played higher earlier in their career. So, so um, that's the
0: first match. That, that's your first.
1: That's the early European champions, yeah. And we're playing on three G, and there's not a single three G pitch in Zimbabwe, so we couldn't prepare. I, my lads are used to you know awful pitches where the ball just bounces off at various yeah. weird angles, and. Um, suddenly, you know, even playing in bare feet half the time and, and suddenly we're in, we're in brand new boots. Uh, Bruce I got us a load of new boots through New Balance and Liverpool and that was fantastic. But also that, you know, lads are playing in brand new boots. So there's always, you know, yeah,
0: the problem a wearing them in.
1: Yeah. Imagine playing, you know, we'd had one training, two, two training sessions, um, which I had to go easy on, of course, anyway, with the jet lag and everything. Um, so you imagine being in new boots, being on 3G for the first time, and then playing, you know, the European Champions. Um, but we went to about 30 minutes nil-nil. Um, I always laugh because the first kick of the game, our centre half tried to shoot from the from the kickoff, uh, went miles wide, but <laughs> 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 uh, still makes still makes me laugh to this day. I don't know where it got that. Like.
0: You you must have been laughing on the touchline. You was actually feel- laughing. Yeah.
1: Uh, Bruce, Bruce, Bruce raised his eyebrows to me about uh, that one, but uh, um, well, then we had a bit of a shocker. We had a bit of a shocking period, and, and, and I think about, about sixty minutes we were six nil down. And it's one of those where you're saying, lads, you know, this is, could turn into an embarrassment, you know, yes. bigger embarrassment. So. We'd said, you know, play your natural game. You're a lot fitter. They've got a lot of older players. Just, just calm down. Start to start to play your your, your basic passing and movement. You, you run into space. You know, you can dribble past some of these lads. And then we suddenly turned it on. Scored a fantastic goal. Yeah, I, anyone should Google that. In, in Back to Beedi Land against Padania at Sutton. Fantastic goal um, with something we'd partly worked on um, from, a, from a corner. And then we had um, we had two. Two one-on-ones with their keeper, um, and it, yeah, honestly, could have been about six-three, six-four at the end. So, we 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 grew in the game. We learnt a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, at the end of the game, remember all the, the lads went over and they they shook hands with all the supporters. They didn't just go and clap. They literally went <laughs> over and shook hands with every person in the in the stadium. Um, uh, we see world of people coming over and saying, "You know, can we interview you?" And Bruce Grobler was kneeling down in centre of the lad saying, "Be proud of yourselves. You know, don't be don't be disappointed. You've done so much for your for your, for your nation, not just Matavai but for Zimbabwe. You know, and for your families and everything. Absolutely incredible. So, you know, somebody might look at that on paper on a Wikipedia page and go six one, you know, but no, you know, in football, you can lose six one and be very respectable. So, and that's what we were. Um, it sound, it sounds second...
0: like once they grew into the game, you know, if that was maybe the fourth or fifth time they played in that environment, it could have yes. been a different story.
1: Oh, d- d- definitely, definitely. Um, you know, second game we played Land, who um, had a lot of lads who played Hungarian, Romanian leagues. Um, you
0: know, interesting, the, interesting.
1: The, the pyramid. That's uh, a lot of very, very uh, experienced players again. Um lads who played a couple hundred games, some of them, in their leagues. Um, good, you know, very good pros rather than semi-pros, some of them in their, in their day. Um, we nearly scored after six seconds. Um, four passes, they didn't touch it, we nearly scored. And then I think we had about five chances. We didn't put, didn't put it any... He didn't, didn't, didn't score a single goal, didn't put the game to bed, obviously. And then our goalkeeper comes running out does a karate kick on their lads. They go long ball and our keeper comes about 60 yards out and um, we go down to 10 and yeah, you know it's it's a, it's a tough call then because you yeah you're really you, you, you're really struggling and they they're, with their experience they just started picking yeah. us off yeah. we ended up losing out five nil uh but again it doesn't doesn't really represent the truth of what went on you know to some extent uh, but again it's 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 decision making it's experience we did a lot of um we did a lot of work on our uh, defensive um strategies and lineups and everything else uh, prior to the third game we just drilled defensively um the third group game we played tuvalu i mentioned at the start it's a, it's a real country and um we were beating them 2-1 um you know 20 30 minutes left couldn't score couldn't get that third goal then then it was all them uh, one of their lads missed, missed the sitter of a header and then we uh, we got a penalty in the last minute, and um, we'd already missed the we'd already missed the penalty um, earlier. Different the, the lad that I thought should take the penalty took it because in the first half the lad was going for his uh, going for his hat trick, uh, we missed. Um, but yeah, he slotted it away. Um, they did the old um, run by the corner flag and Pete, you know, they are the the pee, the dog peeing celebration as a team, and we all went mad. And um, yeah, we beat a country. We, 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 yeah, we beat yeah, country. a country. And CNN—that was that was the end of their documentary because they come and filmed us in Zimbabwe, and then that was the kind of the, the last part of it. And filming the lads in the car park and dancing, you know, and a couple of us having a beer, and the rest of the lads just dancing and singing in the car park, and incredible. Yeah, it was incredible.
0: Well, just you—you—you you, you can't. I, I, I'm trying to, you just can't comprehend the feeling of that. Just unbelievable. And that's a moment what will stay with everyone involved for a lifetime. Just unbelievable yeah. experience. Unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, that's, that's what it's all about. So just, just quickly before we, we, we move on a, a quick chat about your, about your book. Uh, you spent some time in, in South America uh, as, a, as a freelancer. Uh, yeah. ju- uh, journalists, so did you get any decent experiences there? Uh, what watching a, a few of the games and whatnot? I mean, it was it Copa America,
1: yeah. It was this this time last year, in fact, uh, I was in Brazil, yeah, uh, for the Copa America. So, what I did is I, I backpacked around Brazil for a couple of months, went up to the Amazon and up to some of those cities in the north, um that's very right.
0: yeah. Um, I remember I was, following your your kind of journey and your unbelievable uh, ability to get good deals and uh, keep a an tight <laughs> budget. It was yeah. very impressive, very impressive.
1: Yeah, Brazil was, was quite quite tough on that one, but um, surprisingly expensive a lot of it. But uh, yeah. it was a uh, yeah, it was amazing, amazing, amazing country, and I I was guilty of trying to cram too much in. I really was running here, there, everywhere, trying to see everything. Um, probably should have spent more time chilling, but it was amazing, and then. The last part, the last month, was the Copper America. And, um, like, yeah, I was very uh, happy to be uh, an accredited journalist at that. And I worked at that. So, you know, going to Argentina press conferences and, yeah, seeing the likes of Messi and the, uh, Suarez in the mix zone. Um, actually, at one point, uh, Suarez knocked me as he went past and I felt about diving on the floor. Just, just like <laughs> yeah,
0: um,
1: Give you a bag. Uh, yeah, you know yeah. that that go, go viral wouldn't it um, so it was good Yeah, really really great experience um some 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 interesting journalists out like zamorano the old um chile the yeah, chile
0: striker yeah
1: uh, national yeah real madrid he, he was one of the journalists out there he was wow, to. wow. Um, yeah wonderful yeah it was a, it was a strange tournament uh, bolsonaro and all the stuff that went on the political stuff it was very very weird uh, I still think, I still think that there was a few underhand things that went on at that tournament. Um, but it was a, yeah, it was, a, it was an amazing experience. One, one one of the great things I did I did the uh, the sporf. Um, it, um, had quite a big following on social media. I did an Instagram takeover for them. So I did uh, the Brazil Argentina game. I just did loads of live videos and just kept posting them. It was just amazing. I had like a million views or something. Um, across all the platforms, so that was just incredible. Um, so that that was uh, that, that was one of the best experiences as a journalist. Um, but great, yeah, all the way to the final, um, and I think I flew back the day after the final. So it was. Uh, but I love I love the Copper America. That's my third. Um, I went to Chile oh, and just, Argentina. Just your
0: third. Just your third.
1: Third. Yeah. Third. <laughs> Not sure when the next one will be, but um, it was. I love it. I love it. I love the South Americans. I love the fans. It's just very real. It's it's perhaps changing a bit now. It's I think this this tournament was a bit bit more um, artificial and, and uh, commercial compared to the other ones. But um, but I love South America. It's a good good excuse to travel and see some see some real real football, real football fans and fact. And
0: Zamorano and uh, was it Mark? Machado Salas, what a partnership
1: that was for Chile. Unreal, yeah. unreal. Yeah. I'll tell you, I just just remember the first. Um, what's his what's his name? His name's gone out of my head now. Um, I started, so so, so I finished. But he <laughs> uh, the, he was the manager of Argentina um, at uh, the Russia World Cup. Um, the lad with the tattoos. He, he looked like he'd just come out of the clubs. The first person I saw in Brazil, I got off the plane, got to a hotel, and uh, there he was, sat in the bar.
0: That, um, <laughs> that's that's outrageous.
1: <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, I, this is this is annoying me. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. Uh, he's. Well, he's what, a, was he having was a, a few beers? A, sorry.
0: Was he having a few beers? Was he?
1: He was, yeah, he was with a club side, um, a Brazilian club side that he was the um, manager of, um, which has also gone out of my head. But what's his, this is annoying me, mate. What's his name? It's amazing how you can, Sam Sampioli. Uh, Yes, yeah. George George Sampioli, yeah. Sampioli. Yeah. So, yeah, he was, that made me laugh because he was literally the first person after I got off, off the plane that I saw. So, having a beer so yeah it was great it was great fantastic um and uh i'd, I'd recommend it to anybody go try and get yourself to one copper america in your lifetime if you can
0: excellent excellent yeah great great advice great advice and just to just to round things up i just want to uh, bring up your book justin uh one football no nets. i I've, I've read i've not read it all yet it's on my ipad means my ipad's about 50 years old now I don't know how they age so quickly uh, if, if that's possible uh, I'm still waiting to get a new cable whatever but I've started to read or I've previously read i've been called blurbs or, or uh, con con conscripts you know parts yeah. parts of yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, chapters and and one of them uh one of them bruce grobbler when you <laughs> when you kind of when the meeting happens so can you just quickly, without going into the story too much, obviously you, you mentioned Bruce a few times when we were talking about the World Cup, but I think it was a, a given that he had to get involved in some capacity. But yeah. what, what was the deal in the meeting? You, you, you had to kind of had last-minute meetings on the motorways and stuff. So can you just give us a little bit of background to that? Just to, I'm sure most people have read your book by now because it's, it's very well thought of, but just for anyone who hasn't, you just give us a background about you and your, your relationship with Bruce Grobler and, and how you met and how that kind of developed
1: yeah I mean, I, we yeah we I said with the, with the money we had to raise and, and and no one knew of the team, and the first period I was in Zimbabwe um, we couldn't actually announce I was there because of the political circumstances, so yeah. it wasn't till January that I kind of officially announced the team and started promoting it and with you know and the tournament was in may so just looked, we just looked at it and said, you know, how can we do this? Uh, how can we get the maximum awareness? And we, we thought, oh, Peter Unlove um, oh, and yeah, Bruce, yeah. Bruce Grovel are famous, um, famous Matabili land lads um, that people would uh, would know of, and um, tried to tried to get in touch with Peter, and, and, and uh, he, he, he politely declined because he had he got various things going on, um, and then. Um, just uh, sent an e- I got grobola's um, email and just sent him an email along with um, lots of other emails that I sent here there and everywhere and of course most of them you never hear back from um, and, and a lot of things they surprise you I mean I got I got a reply from CNN I got I got a reply from Grobola. I wrote to 45 English football clubs and only one replied so you, you, you never know yeah,
0: Whereas, did you mentioned who that was who replied it was it was
1: West, it was West Brom that replied to say uh, sorry we can't help you but at least I said to them, you know, you're the only club that's um, that's, that's, that's replied right. to me. Um, I mean, Northampton helped me, and some other clubs later helped me. Um, but in that r- initial group of a lot of Premier League and Championship clubs, I wasn't looking for money, just looking to go down coaching sessions and yeah, maybe yeah. get some get some publicity through the social media or something. But um, but yeah, going back to to Bruce, he, he, he I think, you know, I sent that on a Sunday and I think Tuesday morning I got up and looked at my email and I it just said Bruce Grobelar, you know, email from Bruce Grobelar. I thought, that's one of my mates winding me up. One of them is, you know, he's just done the old classic, isn't he? He's, yeah, he's yeah, took
0: yeah.
1: That. Bruce, Bruce Grobelar at uh, banana.com or <laughs> um, But sure enough, he said, yeah, I know about the project. Um, I'd be delighted to be involved in some way. Are uh, you going to be in England anytime soon? No, he was in Canada. I was in Latvia um and then we we come up with a date when i was going to be in england prior to going back to zimbabwe the second time and um the way things worked out he had a lot of speaking um uh, uh, one of the a lot of these speaking um events that he had to do so we struggled to find a time and, and then one one day he says well look, i i'm driving south um can, where can i meet you and i said well i'm driving north i'm going i'm taking my mum away for the weekend he said which way are you going I said, well, I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to Buxton. Where are you going? He said, I'm going down to South Wales. I said, well, let's look at this. We say, oh, he goes, what about the M6 uh, service station in Wolverhampton? So, all right. <laughs> so, uh, so I drove up and um, walked across course, cause I'm on the other, the other, the other side of the, so I had to go across the bridge and um, got to Costa coffee. And there, there was a man who looked like Bruce Grobler, 20 years older. Um, and um yeah just sat down chatted with him um at the start i could i could see he was casing me out to see whether i was you yeah, know yeah journalist or taking the mickey yeah he threw he threw in a couple of interesting questions he, he said he knew a load of the people in latvian football and um said some names to me and they weren't even like La- you know I, they weren't latvian names they sounded bosnian or serbian or something and uh I think he just did it because he thought I was just going to go, yeah, yeah, I know him, I know him. I said, no, yeah, I yeah,
0: yeah.
1: I've never yeah. heard of him. sorry, I've no idea what you're talking about. And then he changed. He changed. He, he, he thought I wasn't. Um And, yeah, we talked and I, I said, would you be prepared to be our brand ambassador? Because um, it would help us. He said, I'd be delighted to. He looked at his diary. He said, apart from the Champions League final in, in Kiev, I think it was, with Liverpool, if they get there, I'm free. I'm um, free. Uh, and I said, he said, I can get you, maybe maybe get your boots, help you, would definitely help you with gloves. Um, uh, I said, would you mind coming down and being a goalkeeper coach during the tournament? He said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, and then I was going to ask him, would you be my fourth choice keeper? And I thought, no, no, I'll save that one back. I'll save, I'll save that one back till it's too late. <laughs> so when, when we got to London, um, he was there. Um, he helped us, yeah, he helped us get boots and stuff um and he, he yeah it was, we had two goalkeeper coaches we had him and matt Perella. who's a very good uh lad from the united states who's a good good goalkeeper coach good player he joined us as well i think we had more staff than uh, chelsea actually because everyone was working i had three people doing uh the stats on other teams um doing the analysis on other teams for example but, brilliant uh, yeah and then i said to bruce i'll tell you what mate i i've I need you to, to to join the squad because uh, our third choice keeper's injured, and I've got no other keepers. Can I put you on the list? And he went, "Yeah, I've got on." Then, on. <laughs> so he was uh, he was uh, he was in the squad.
0: He's in the yeah, squad. The Brilliant. Just
1: amazing, amazing to have him around. Amazing, amazing experience. He's a he's a very funny guy, and he's a very serious guy, um, and he's been through incredible stuff in his life. So. Um, Amazing to work with him, and 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 the big respect to him is he didn't kind of dominate things, and he let us get on with our jobs. He didn't throw you know throw his personality around and say, look at me, you know. Um, yeah, big big respect to Bruce, and ultimately we wouldn't have got there because he he, he helped us pull round the uh, visa situation when when that, when that was looking really bad.
0: Wow, so so that's just a, a a glimpse into the book one football no nets, and if you haven't read it eh, it's on Amazon, I know. Is there anywhere else, Justin, where people can get it, or is Amazon the, the main one?
1: Yeah, it's the main one. Well, it's, it's it's just available online. It's it's uh, it's one of these print-on-demand. So there's there's always lots of copies of it being stored by the likes of Amazon, Waterstones, um, uh, Book Depository, all these companies. Um, if you just Google it, you'll find it. Amazon's the, the, is the easy one. Uh, gets gets shipped out in two or three days usually. There's obviously the Kindle versions as well the stuff. that you want to get get your hands on it immediately. Yeah. Really pleased. It's had not had, not had, it's not going to make you rich, but it's uh, it's had great reviews and one of the one of the things I've really enjoyed about it is you get you get lads that phone you up and say I have read your book. It's really inspired me to yeah. to try and do do my own interesting little thing. Go a bit travelling, coach abroad, whatever. So that's I'm I'm you know I'm delighted really about the book, getting it published, but also, you know, having a positive um, impact on some people.
0: Well, I think that's a good point to to leave it on because the book has impacted many, I'm sure it will continue to do so. And I hope anyone listening or watching this also will start to get a a few ideas of some different routes they can take in life, if not life in, in the football career. And uh, I think you've shown everyone that literally anything is impossible because if you've got Bruce Grobler as your, your, your third-choice goalkeeper and goalkeeping coach, then literally anything is impossible.
1: No, I did, Matt, anything is possible. Good, you know, good or bad. Uh, you know, I, I ended up being an international football manager. That that was impossible. Absolutely. And the, lots of things that are impossible. Raising the money was impossible. The, you've, you've just got to, you know, life's not a dress rehearsal. Um, and too many people put things off till I, I hear people saying they're oh, yeah, travelling when I retire and stuff. And I mean, this coronavirus situation shows you how the world can change quickly. Yeah. So yeah. You no, know, follow your dreams. Um, some of them you won't reach, but some of them you will, or they'll take you in other interesting directions. But don't just sit there, you know, settling for second best. Try and try and enjoy life. You know, what else is there? You know, ultimately.
0: Absolutely love it. What else is there? And on that note. Justin, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed that chat. Uh, Rightly or wrongly, it's given me some ideas and uh, I think I need to just stay where I am for now. But yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you, mate.
1: Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you having me on.
0: What a great episode that was. Thank you so much for joining us again. Hope you can tune in next time. And make sure you subscribe to the Developing Your Football World podcast so you do not miss the next episodes when they come live. Take care. Bye-bye.